Welcome to the Bards FM podcast. This is Scott Kesterson, and tonight you're listening to a conversation with Ammon Bundy. This war is real. Fighting is everything. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Tempt not the righteous man to draw his sword. Conviction, righteousness, ruthlessness. To understand tolerance, you have to understand the line of intolerance. War is the teacher, soldiers are the students. They become the bards of war. Good evening, patriots. And today is Monday, August 22nd in the year 2022. And I'm broadcasting live from Springfield, Missouri. Yeah. Starting this great trip across America, doing great things. We've got some great stuff coming up. I'm going to be speaking this Saturday at the Reckoning Fest in Dallas this coming weekend at Saturday. And the day before on Friday, I'm going to be at the Ted Nugent concert, which if you're there, come on over because we're going to all be sitting on the grass. There's going to be myself, Juan Osave, and a whole bunch of other people there, which is really awesome. So it's going to be grand. But before we begin... Let's do this. We've got all sorts of great stuff to talk about tonight, and we're going to have a great interview. But before we begin, let's hear a little bit about Mike Lindell's My Coffee. Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, and I'm excited to announce my new product, My Coffee. When I tried My Coffee for the first time, I was blown away. It's the best coffee I've ever had in my life. And it starts with the beans that are grown in Honduras. They have the perfect climate for growing coffee plants, which produce the best beans ever. Each batch is tested to meet the highest industry standards and all the production's done right here in the USA. It's like you're getting that small batch specialty coffee delivered right to your front door. And you can get them ground or whole bean or in the single serve coffee pods. Plus it's certified organic and non-GMO. And I guarantee it'll be the richest, smoothest, best coffee you've ever had. So go to mystore.com or call the number on your screen now. Use your promo code and I'll get you my coffee for 25% off. That's mystore.com. It's my new platform for USA entrepreneurs. So please order now. Inflation is real. The CPI is at another 40-year high, hitting 9.2%, and real inflation on daily goods, bread, milk, meat, gas for your car, even rents, are at over 30%. The recession is real. If all your money is in the market or tied up in U.S. dollars, you're messing with fire. It's critical for you to take a hard look at diversifying your savings into gold and silver. That's where the professionals at Birch Gold come in. Text BARDS, B-A-R-D-S, to 989898 and get a free information kit on how to diversify and protect your savings with precious metals. With an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, countless five-star reviews, and thousands of satisfied customers, gold is the right investment to make now. Text BARDS to 989898 and get real help from Birch Gold today. Again, text BARDS to 989898 to claim your free, no-obligation information kit on how to protect your hard-earned savings with gold. So, Patriots, that was like two commercials in one. That was good. 
that's what happens when you come off of a weekend of doing 17 and a half hours of live streaming and you've got all your commercials preset. That's pretty funny. But anyway, those are good commercials, good things, good products. And by the way, you can get your My Coffee at mystore.com forward slash bards, promo code bards. My store forward slash bards, promo code bards. It's all right there. And of course, the My Pillow products are always there at mypillow.com forward slash bards, promo code bards. Someone said the other day we're going to have to get something special for all the special blanding pages we have, which is true. We've got blanding pages all over the world with Bard stuff. It's good. So as you know, we had an incredible weekend, and it really was. It was a weekend truly filled with God and Jesus all over the place. And what was so amazing about it is that we had everybody that was there at the conference, at the event, and at the this the moment of truth summit was getting their hands dirty spiritually and physically in getting stuff done in this nation. You had a thousand people there. And I, I will tell you when you have an event like that and you see the room packed and it was close to, it was easily a thousand people and you get to the last half of the last half day, this is when you start to see people trickle off. So that's Sunday and we're, we're running until like nine o'clock on Sunday I don't think it's finished until nine. I'll bet you there was 700 people still there in their chairs, cheering, celebrating. It was awesome. Just amazing. And these are great Americans. And the best part about it is what really came out of this whole conference, this whole event, is it, is it wasn't the people, it wasn't like big name people that were sweeping the day. This is just America. This, these are patriots. And I, I left that conference telling, saying this, and I am really honest. I mean, if our founding fathers were here now, now I'm going to back this up. If our founding fathers were here about six years ago, they'd be shaking our head going, what in the hell did we do? And I've even said that on the show. But what I could tell you is if our founding fathers were there this weekend, they'd be smiling ear to ear saying, now you're getting it. And they, they'd be so proud to see that we're starting to understand the fundamentals of what they built, because that's the truth. Our country is fundamentally explained in the first two paragraphs of the Declaration of Independence and the philosophy of what our founding fathers are about, were about, and what the entire motion was about is explained in the last two paragraphs of the Declaration of Independence. And everything in between is obviously their resolution and the reasons why, which if you go to the website, bardsfm.com, I did a modernized Declaration of Independence with current objections to modernize some of their objections to the king. And, and the thing is that everything fits. Nothing is outdated. The Declaration of Independence is by and large the most important document we have because it gives us the authorities in God to protect and secure our sovereign rights that no one can take away from us. And that's critical, absolutely critical. And once we understand that, we're, we're going to have the power to fight this the right way. So the one other big takeaway from the weekend is the fact that everybody I talked to, both on our, which we had the coolest podcasting setup, we really did. And if we don't have pictures of, I think Hannah was going to put pictures up on Gab. I'll make sure she puts them up on Telegram as well. But we just had an awesome, simple, but very awesome podcasting booth set up. It wasn't a booth. It was on a, like a short stage. It was about three feet up off the ground. 
felt like I was jumping out of an airplane every time I got on off. But anyways, three feet off the ground. And then had our table, had our nice banner up. And people liked it a lot. They complimented it a lot to the day because it was just simple, clean, and was easy because there wasn't big cameras and lighting. We had one person over there. Actually, I don't know who they were, but I, I was like, there's no way I'm going over there. They were they had a makeup booth set up so people could get on stage and be on camera and get their makeup done beforehand. <laughs> I was like, that's not me. Not me. I don't do that. Not a chance. But podcasting is just, is just so awesome because it was just, we, we felt like radio. I felt like I was a radio broadcaster or something. Super cool. But, um, and we just rolled through. I, I think I did, and I, I'll see when it all comes out, when I finally get all these posted up. And I'm going to, I've been telling you that. I've been trying to get today's stuff set up and I'll be traveling for the next couple of days. And so shows will be normal. Don't worry about that. But I'm just getting everything prepped so I can do that. But we have about 17 hours of podcasts that are going to come up from the event that you can listen to. And I know the audio isn't the normal quality, but keep in mind that we're in a big auditorium room and you've got we're screaming, Mike screaming behind us. and Well, not really screaming, but Mike is Mike and all the other things going on, which is awesome. And it was just totally a great event. So those will be available. And like I told you earlier today, each of the each ones that goes up will have hashtags as to who the, the in, people were we interviewed, but they're all good interviews. Just so I say it, all of them are good interviews. And that's what was so amazing is the range of things that were going on. And like I was starting to say, everybody will tell you they've been led by God to do something. And that's, what's so amazing is that this is when you're starting to see, when you bring it all together, you can really see God's army. And, and that's just totally fantastic. So it's really good to be back. It's been a pretty crazy trip um, so far. Great one. Totally lit with the Holy Spirit. And that's awesome. And we're, we're just going to, I'm going to keep moving along. A lot of great things to do. So a lot of great things to see and working on getting some other cool interviews as I go along. And again, if, if you are in the Dallas area this coming Saturday, um, you'll want to get on over there because that's, it's going to be the reckoning. It's called reckoning fest, R E C K O N I N G fest.com reckoning fest. I'll be speaking there on Saturday. Some of the other speakers are Mike Lindell, Wano Saban, a few others, quite a few others. Banners for freedom is going to be there. Um, and which are great people. I, I did their interview yesterday. If you didn't hear it on live stream, it'll be up, but they're, they're an amazing couple, just solid working class people that have started putting up all these, um, billboards started with one billboard and now they've have 188, I think billboards, including a billboard on times square fighting for vax freedom and getting rid of the vax tyranny and other things. So it's really, it's really awesome. Just good people. So this is going to be a good event. And then the day before, which is Friday, Ted Nugent's concert is only the venue and Ted Nugent's concert are only like 15 or 20 miles apart. Something like that. Very close. I mean, it's all on Western side of Dallas. So you Texas people, I don't have any boots on a cowboy hat. So I don't know if I'm, I don't know if I'm allowed in Texas without those. I'm going to have to find that out. I think that's a law in Texas. That you're supposed to have boots and a cowboy hat. Otherwise, I don't. I think they have. They don't. Oh, 
But I, I don't know about the illegals. So if, I guess I guess I can be one of three things in Texas. I can have boots and a cowboy hat to be legal, or I can just jump border and I'll be considered I- illegal. And then according to what the Border Patrol did today, if you're if, even if Texas tries to keep you out, they're going to cut open the gate and let the illegals in anyway. Anyway, that's a whole other drama. All right, Patriots, so tonight we have a great interview tonight. This is Ammon Bundy. Now, if you don't know about the Bundys, you're going to learn all about it tonight. I have, I mean, keeping in mind that part of this story is in my backyard in Oregon with the murder of LaVoy Finnegan, the cold-blooded slaughter of LaVoy Finnegan by, uh, by the FBI and by the Oregon State Police. And this is all part of Ammon's story. This is a family that has suffered immensely, fought the federal government, and kept God right in their heart to get them through this. Ammon's a great, he's a great patriot. And so I encourage you to listen to this whole interview. It's fantastic. And and he's just a straight down-to-earth, salt-of-the-earth guy that is now running for governor in Idaho. And he's leading. This is awesome. So with that... I think we need to introduce Ammon Bundy. Patriots, I'm really honored today to have Ammon Bundy on. Now, for those of you that know the story of Bundy Ranch and the whole background, Ammon's literally a legend. And he's also running for governor now as an independent in Idaho. So it's I think we're going to have a great conversation today. Ammon, welcome to the show. Thanks for being on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Let's start a little bit with just your background. I mean, as, as who you are, because I think we get a lot of wrapped up in the the incidents, but we don't really know who you are. So let's talk a little bit about that. Well, I grew up in Southern Nevada on a ranch, and I grew up in the same home that my father grew up in, little twelve hundred square foot home, um, and outside of about fifteen twenty miles outside of Mesquite, Nevada, and uh, went to school in Mesquite. Went to Virgin Valley High School there, and uh, you know, I had had a pretty unique childhood. I didn't realize, I didn't think it was unique, but now looking back at it, it was pretty unique. And spent lots of time up in the mountains and on the hills, and riding, you know, riding horses and riding four wheelers, and you know, doing the ranching thing and farming. And uh, uh, my father, who inherited and also purchased part of ranches and put them together, you know, is, uh, was the fourth generation in that area. My family went in, came in that area in 1877. So that's now almost 150 years ago. And they've been ranching and farming there ever since. No one else wanted it. It was, it's so dry and so arid that, you know, no one else wanted the area. And my family went in there and made a living out of it. And, um, you know, some of the things I've done, I I, uh, I played football through high school, junior high and high school, and really enjoyed that. And uh, my senior year or my junior year, I threw in my hat to become the student body president, and I won. And, and I, so I was a student body president of the high school there. Uh, that was fun. I mean, I was like not your typical, you know, stereotype for student body president. So we had a lot of fun. But I did, I did some good. I started I started the um, first high school uh, uh, store and then took that money and funded most of the 
seniors seniors trip uh, senior trip. Uh, that was fun. That was a lot of organization. I I started a little metal uh, welding service for for different uh, people and teachers and stuff. Anyway, so that was kind of in my blood, entrepreneur, kind of doing new things is in my blood even back then. And then, and then when I uh, uh, left high school, I did, I I I got out on my own pretty early. Um, started doing construction and and uh, road construction. I actually, got on a paving crew and did that for like two years in Nevada, which is a lot of fun. Taught, uh, but I I learned a lot. I didn't ever, I didn't mind work. Work was always, always fun for me. So anyway, and then I actually then got some refinement. I went to Minnesota uh, on a LDS mission and uh, went out there and taught the gospel of Jesus Christ the best I could for two years. And it really refined me because all of a sudden now I'm wearing a white shirt and tie and a suit talking to people about Jesus Christ. And, um, and then, and I, you know, I did the best I could there and got to talk to a lot of people and brought a lot of people closer to the Lord. And, but mostly I have to admit that I think it did me more good than anybody else. Cause when I left there, I, uh, I was committed to the Lord. Like I wasn't going to do anything in my life that the Lord didn't approve of. That's, that was my, my goal and my determination. And so that kind of, set me on a good path to, you know, I was still wanting to do business and wanting to, you know, be in agriculture and do all those things. But, but I wanted to make sure it was what the Lord wanted me to do. So anyway, I don't know how much you want me to go on. I mean, I, there's, I could keep going a little bit, kind of set the stage here, but cause I come home, went to school, Southern Utah university. Uh, sometime before all this, my dad had, said, hey, this ranch isn't going to produce enough living for everybody, so people are going to have to go, you know, several of my kids are going to have to go and make a living some other way. And I knew I was right in the middle of my dad's kids, and so <laughs> I knew I was going to have to go out and make a living somewhere else. And so I started a little business. Uh, I met my wife finally and uh, moved down to Arizona and built a uh, one of the pri- largest private fleet maintenance businesses in Arizona. And then after being in business for almost two decades, I built a software for that industry, uh, hired programmers and uh, project managers, and together we built a software uh, that now is one of the leading fleet maintenance shop, ma- shop management softwares in North America. And it has revolutionized that industry. And then I sold all those and uh, moved to Emmett, Idaho uh, over seven years ago. I have three boys, three girls. My oldest is 19. My youngest is seven years old. Uh, Lisa, my beautiful wife, has been my companion and I hers for the last 20 years, 20 plus years. And... um, of course, we could get into some of the things that happened in 2014 and then 2016, but maybe I'll just lay that foundation and we can go from there. Sounds good. No, I, I, I want to talk a little bit about that. You're in Arizona. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming about the time when that whole bit happened at your, your dad's ranch, right? 
Yeah, I was in Arizona. Like I said, I was in my kind of the the prime of my time really in business and in, you know, wealth. And it was the first time that I had both time and money. It's usually when you have time, you don't have any money. When you have money, you don't have any time. And, and uh, it was the first time. And life was really probably as good as life could be on this beautiful earth. And uh, and then the Bunny Ranch thing happened, and I, uh, you know, it really threw us all for a loop. But we responded the best way we could, and ultimately, the Lord blessed us, and we were pr- protected, and and we prevailed against the most powerful government, who has done the same thing to many, many, many families as they tried to do to us. So, give us a little insight into that story from your perspective on. What was the motivation of the federal government for moving in, and, and what was the escalation, how that all went through? Yeah, to, to make a long story short, again, my family had been there for you know now 150 years. This was eight years ago. Uh, so uh, the, and the, there's been this dispute between the, the people, the land users, and the federal government, uh, basically because my family went in there in 1877, they immediately began to establish rights. They followed the law according to, you know, everything according to the law. They went and deeded their rights with the state of Nevada. Once Nevada had a way for them to deed those rights, um, they, you know, followed all the laws, all the water laws, all the grazing laws and everything to make it where those rights were established according to the law, which is uh, uh, prior appropriation and beneficial use. That's how they were, they were established. So we ended up with these deeds, these clear titles to graze our cattle uh, on this land, and we had the the grazing or the water rights as well. Well, that's the way it was established. Went for many many decades, and then in 1946, after my family had been there for 70 years, the federal government established the Bureau of Land Management, and and everything was fine for a while, uh, but they kind of slowly started inching their way in and almost claiming rights to the land and then uh, eventually rights to the resource. Uh, and it, the undertone was a very extreme environmentalist undertone that was taking place. And then in the late 80s, uh, early 90s, they actually came into my, uh, to my dad and the other ranchers and said, hey, look, uh, we're going to build a large solar uh, a farm 70 miles from your ranch and this was all being done by Harry Reid and actually a Chinese corporation who was going to come in and, and build the solar farm and manage the solar solar plant and all of that and the environmentalists were saying well if you're going to build a solar farm and it's going to be it was supposed to be the largest solar farm in the world not just the United States in the world they say if you're going to build this massive solar farm then then you have to create a mitigation area for uh, the wildlife, including the desert tortoise. So the federal government comes to my dad and the other ranchers in the area who have been in there now for, you know, how many years, a hundred, you know, at that time, 25, 30 years. And they said, uh, we're going to make your ranch, Clive and Bundy, a mitigation area for the desert tortoise. And you no longer can ranch there. And my dad's like, what? I mean, we've, we've got rights. These are rights uh, to the to deed. They're not privileges. They're rights. And um, they said, well, we're going we're gonna to take them anyway. 
And when my dad said no, and they came back and said, well, we're going to do this no matter what, my dad said, hell no, and he just dug in. And most of the other ranchers just gave up. In fact, there was 53 ranchers in the area, and there was only two left after this kind of sweep of, of control and, and so forth. And then the other rancher who was standing with my dad, he passed away, had a heart attack. Um, and so it left my dad alone. He's, he's there alone. Uh, one of the last or the last rancher in the area and one of the last ranchers in the entire Mojave desert. And, uh, so my dad fought him legally back and forth for like 20, 20 years. And finally, during the Obama administration, they felt like they had enough, uh, federal force and enough political power that they could come in and just crush my family. Uh, and they brought in, uh, over 200 federal armed federal agents, uh, put snipers on the hills, locked the Lorance down, uh, began to, uh, kill the cattle from helicopters, uh, put him in mass graves, uh, destroy the water infrastructure that was over a hundred years old, destroy the, you know, corrals and fences and so forth. And then when people began to like demonstrate because our family, just our little family and friends and some local people were like kind of demonstrating and just we didn't know what else to do i mean there's snipers on the hills they're threatening us with our with our with our lives if we resisted in any way so we just began to protest and so forth and so they actually uh, began to attack us with dogs body slam us tase us all of these things uh, because the reason why they did that is they said that they had created an area there was two areas they were just like little fenced off areas about the size of probably a half of a high school basketball court and they fence those off and they said this is your first amendment area if you're going to protest you have to protest and you have to demonstrate in that area well we, we refused to demonstrate in that area so they would attack us and tase us and sick dogs on us and throw us to the ground and my brother was uh, arrested and interrogated throughout the night. That's what they were doing. Well, we began to video it. And this was when Facebook didn't have Facebook Live, but they had the ability to upload a live video. And uh, we, we began to expose what they were doing to the entire country and ultimately to the entire world. And, uh, you know, people across the country were not okay with what was happening. And so they began to come uh, to the ranch in droves. And eventually we had thousands of people there and, and international attention on the situation. And, uh, and we turned, it turned it right, upside, uh, right side up. I mean, it was upside down before, turned it right side up. They, the people began protecting my family and they gave the federal agents an ultimatum uh, and, and ultimately to leave the area. And they chose to leave the area. We watched over 107 vehicles, bumper to bump, federal vehicles, bumper to bumper, leave the area within an hour of the ultimatum. And we went back, went and got the cattle that weren't killed, put them back on the range. And my father went back to ranching and I went back to, um, to business in Arizona. Our lives were never to be the same again, but uh, that's ultimately, you know, the, the short version of what happens. We have the Mahler National Wildlife Refuge issue, which happens up in Oregon, right? Correct. And mm -hmm. that's with Finnegan Lavoie. Yep. You were there as well? 
Yeah. So by that time I had moved to, um, I had moved to Idaho. Uh, I, so about a year after the whole Bundy ranch thing happened, uh, I began to think pretty heavily about what I need to do to protect my family. And, uh, my eyes were completely open. I, I mean, I, I could not believe that the U S government, the government that my government, uh, that, you know, that was supposed to be leading and, and in charge of the free, the, the free Western world was, would do what they did at, at the Bundy ranch. And I realized that our country was not in the situation that we believed that most people believed it was in. And, uh, so I, felt a desire to get out of the cities. Uh, I was less motivated at that point to continue in business. So ultimately I moved to Idaho, a more rural area where I felt people could understand me and the way I grew up and all that more. I ended up selling my businesses, both my fleet maintenance business and my shop management software business. And, uh, and I was in Idaho basically kind of wanting to fly under the radar and then I found out about the Hammond family, which is only a couple hours away from me in, in uh, Harney County, Oregon, where basically the same thing that they were doing to my family in Nevada, they were doing to them. That's kind of what put me there. Let's talk a little bit about that. And I don't, I don't think people know well enough the kind of the details around that because the, the Maller Wildlife Refuge, as the way it has been portrayed, was like a federal reserve public access place of some fashion. And and you guys all ended up kind of standing up there to put your foot down and say no more. Can you give us a little background on that? Well, so the Hammond family was one of the last holdout ranchers in that area. Uh, But the Blitzen Valley where the Mallier national wildlife refuge is, it was all homesteaded by, people coming out and making ranches and it was the most fertile area in all of Western uh, or excuse me, Eastern Oregon and certainly Harney County. And uh, so uh, in fact, to prove that, you know, during the fifties and sixties when ranching was still what was going on in that Valley, um, Harney County had the highest family incomes in the state and they had for, for many, many decades. But what happened was, is the federal government uh, put their eyes on that uh, beautiful Blitzen Valley and began doing all kinds of dirty things to get the ranchers off that area. And now all of those ranchers, over 100 ranches in that area now, except just a few, and the Hammond family is one of them, all are now owned by the federal government. And under the control of the United uh, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. They made a big park, a big bird refuge uh, out of all these ranches. And guess what? Now, Harney County has the lowest family incomes and has for the last several decades, ever since they they did this, actually for the last over over a half a century, ever since they did this. And they just destroyed the wealth, the property, the incomes of the people of that county. Well, the Hammond family was was a holdout. They were the ones that fought back and they were like, you're not going to take our ranch. And they, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, federal government, tried to do all kinds of things to them and they could never get them to, 
you know, to give up the Hammonds and the, and the Hammonds ranch was like a peninsula down inside the refuge. And so they just hated that there was this private ranch that was, you know, basically a holdout of all of this entire valley that the federal government had taken. We're talking about about 100 miles long, about 50 miles wide, not quite 50 miles wide. So we're talking about a massive amount of land that the federal government took from private ranchers. Uh, all of it was deeded title land that was once private. And so what did the federal government begin to do to the Hammonds? They began to do all kinds of things. They began to fence off their waters and say, well, we, we own the wa- we own the land around the waters, so therefore you can't use the waters for your cattle. Uh, that was a huge problem. It caused all kinds of issues. They began to restrict, you know, access going across the refuge because they had property and grazing rights on the other side of the refuge, trying to make, make them so they had to truck their cattle, you know, over 100 miles all the way around the refuge. Uh, these were the things that they were doing and had been doing to other ranchers that were just destructive. Uh, and none of that worked. And so the Hammonds one day were, were doing, which is a normal thing every year, they were doing what, what we call a prescribed burn. And I'm sure you're familiar with that. Some people aren't. But every year the grass gets so thick, it grows so good in that area that you have to burn it off so that the new grass comes in the next year. Otherwise, it doesn't come in as as healthy and thick because you got the old grass kind of batting it down and making it so it won't grow up. And the, the Native Americans and ranchers and farmers have been doing this for the last several hundred years, maybe even more. We don't know how long. Well, they did this on their ranch, and the, it jumped a fence and burnt a, a, a burnt a acre of federal ground, so an acre. Now, we're talking about tens, tens of thousands of acres in this area, right? Jumps over. Well, the U.S. government uh, all of a sudden then says, look, we can use this to basically put the Hammond family in such duress that they will have to sell to us. And so how are they going to do this? They, use, they began to prosecute the Hammonds. And they didn't just prosecute them for, you know, uh, burning grass. They prosecute them under the 1996 Anti-Terrorist Death Penalty Act uh, that was created when uh, during the Oklahoma City bombing. Uh, and the, the act was passed by Congress saying that anybody who uses fire to destroy federal property will be uh, prosecuted as a domestic terrorist. So they charged the Hammond family as domestic terrorists for arson under that act. It was one, a, a complete, you know, accident that it jumped. And two, it was nothing to even worry about. It was less than one acre. And the judge even said that the land was better for it. And it was because it was a prescribed burn. So anyway, make a long story short, they began to prosecute the Hammonds. And of course, you get into federal court with the federal prosecutors and the federal rules of prosecution. And they wouldn't let the Hammonds even explain to the jury uh, what they were doing, how it wasn't in, in their intent to do this. Uh, none of that. All they allowed them to argue in front of the jury was whether they started the fire or not and whether the fire burned federal uh, grass or not. The, the, the jury knew nothing about the charges, knew nothing about the sentence, nothing. 
Well, it held a five-year minimum sentence. So the Hammonds were convicted because obviously they started the fire and obviously they burnt federal grass. They were convicted and sentenced to the, the son was sentenced to 12 months and the father was sentenced to three months. They both went to the federal prison. They both did their time. They came home and that steel hadn't put enough pressure on them to sell the ranch. Meanwhile, just so you know, during this time, the uh, federal government had obtained a first right of refusal on the ranch, which is a legal uh, document that if the family ever sells the ranch or has to sell the ranch, they have to sell it to the federal government. They had obtained this through the legal process. Anyway, so the family gets home, the father and the son get home. Remember, they got full families. They got kids, wives, you know, grandkids, all of that. They get home after this terrible experience that they had in federal prison, finally get home, get together, and the prosecutors are saying that's not enough, and they appealed the judge's decision, the sentencing decision to the Ninth Court, Ninth Circuit, and the Ninth Circuit came down and says, nope, they have to go back to prison. After they've been home for two years from prison, they have to go back to prison for the remainder of the five years. And that's when I got involved. I just said, look, this is, this is, you know, this is so unjust. It's so wrong from the beginning. The federal government is not supposed to own that land in the first place. And then to use the, you know, the, the justice system as a political weapon, uh, I just couldn't stand around and allow it to happen. And so I rallied people and we tried to get legislatures to act and we tried to get you know, state reps to act and local people. And they all said it was just unjust. In fact, they said it was a miscarriage of justice, but there's nothing they could do. And to me, that just wasn't enough. Like I, it was too un unjust. You could not allow it to happen. And so I got, uh, you know, people together across the country and support. And then we went in and just began to occupy. This is the middle of winter too. We went right into the refuge headquarters, which, you know, they don't have people in them during the winter, but we went right in there and just began to, you know, live in there and use that as a place to communicate and to gather people uh, to expose this wickedness and the corruption that was going on uh, inside this agency and across the Western United States. That's significant. Now, coming out of that incident, then you have Lavoie Finnegan and that mess that has left a pretty dark stain on not only Oregon, but our federal and even our state police. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So when, while we were at the refuge, uh, you know, people in the media wanted to make it look like we were a bunch of militants that were, you know, hiding behind these uh, windows of these rock buildings with AK 47s in our hand. And that was just absolutely a lie. Hundreds, even thousands of people uh, came into the refuge. We were doing seminars. We were talking to people. It was open to people. We even had a elementary teacher with her students come in and discuss and, and take part of our seminars that were going on there. Well, what happened is we were winning the, the narrative. We were controlling the narrative, and we were getting state representatives, county representatives from all over, from multiple states, coming to the refuge to find out what was happening, uh, to understand what we were saying and what was what was going on. 
and this momentum was building. And uh, two day, two day, two days before they killed Lavoy Finicum, uh, Governor Brown wrote a letter to the FBI saying that you guys said you were going to handle this, and the virus is spreading and it needs to be stopped. Well, we had a, a meeting, a, a community meeting where the sheriff in Grant County, Oregon, and the community there invited us to come and present to them uh, what we've been presenting at the refuge and, and what was all happening and what the problem was and the solutions. And so we had over 400 people waiting for us, and we were headed to Grant County, Oregon. Well, you, gotta, you have to drive over a pass, and you lose cell service and all of that. And as soon as we got into that area where there was no cell service in that pass, uh, they, the FBI and Oregon State Police ambushed us. They began to open fire in our vehicles. And ultimately, Lavoy Finnicum was shot in the back three times with his hands in the air. My brother was shot in the arm. Uh, they thought that it was not going to be recorded. But thankfully, Shauna Cox was cognizant enough to record the situation and what was going on. Uh, they were hoping to cover the whole thing up. And uh, ultimately, then they arrested all of us and put us in prison. And then they arrested my father and brothers and many others for Nevada and put us in prison. And, uh, and that's kind of what started that period of time of, for two years of us being in prison. So you were in prison for two years? I was in federal prison for two years, along with my father and brothers and many others, and never convicted of a crime, To never was convicted of even a misdemeanor meaner, uh, for two years, and half that time I spent in solitary confinement. Very much like the January 6th thing we're seeing then. That's exactly what's happening. Did they use the Patriot Act against you? How did they do that? Because they have a lot of latitudes now to do just that. Yeah, the, well, they used... Um, Several, several acts against us. Um, they wanted to implement the Patriot Act. Uh, uh, they never directly implemented the Patriot Act other than, other than uh, just saying, you know, we don't really give a damn. We're going to keep you in prison as long as we need to. And it wasn't until we beat them in Oregon. We, we went to, you know, trial in Oregon. It took us 10 months to finally get to, a little over 10 months to finally get to trial in Oregon. Um, and it, it was basically pretty close to a 10-week trial, and we exposed them so bad in front of the jury that the jury acquitted us on all charges. And then they sent us down to Nevada to fight those charges, and it took us, you know, uh, almost two years, well, actually, right, right at two years in prison before we finally got to a jury down there and, uh, and in front of a jury, and we began to expose them and their wickedness and also found out that the prosecutors was withholding over 3,800 files, not, not documents, files of documents of exculpatory evidence. And we, you know, uh, basically impeached every government witness on the stand. And uh, the judge could see what was going to happen. And we were going to set a precedence and further expose, especially the FBI, of what was happening. And so the judge dismissed the case and dismissed it with prejudice. And we walked out of those federal buildings and back to our families after two years of, you know, the most terrible experiences that uh, people could have, you know, you know, in this world. And so 
but we beat them. We still beat them. They spent $100 million and put their best teams trying to destroy us, and they weren't able to. And we, we give credit to God. There's no way that we could have done that alone. We didn't have the, you know, the, the knowledge. We didn't have the intelligence. We didn't have the capability or even the, the energy. We were being held in solitary confinement. Most of the time, couldn't even look at our legal documents or talk to our attorneys. Wow. It's quite a story and not a good one and not a good reflection on where we are today, especially with what we just saw happen with President Trump down in Mar-a-Lago. Yeah. I imagine that brings back some memories. I know exactly what's going on there. I, I've seen it and understand it, and it's nothing but political warfare. The Hammonds and your father, are they still ranching? Did they get the lands back? So my father, you know, we went right back to ranching, and the, even the whole time we were in prison, you know, the people were like, you're not taking that ranch. So they has never dealt, dared to try to take my father's ranch again because we're under the protection of the people. And it's a very interesting thing, uh, but it is the reality of what's happening. And the Hammonds went back to ranching. They didn't fight it the same way we fought it, so they lost a bunch of their ranch. But they're still ranching and still making it work. When you see what's going on today and you're looking, reflecting on back on where you were with all of this, what do you see as the motive of the federal government and its agencies to be stealing all this land and taking it? So it's, it's twofold, and I've, I've had to identify this for myself so I can understand, um, and it's twofold, and I hope that I can articulate it uh, well here. One's very easy. The western United States, uh, east of the Colorado, Colorado Rockies to the, to the uh, ocean, uh, is estimated to, within its, it's within the dirt in the subsurface mineral rights, has over $150 trillion worth of, of minerals in it. Um, also, the land itself, to be able to control the land, to the, control the water, is extremely, uh, uh, I guess, profitable or there's extreme amount of wealth and also power uh, when you can control uh, basically the lands and resources. So there's certainly that emotive. Uh, we also know that uh, they collateralized the Western lands. When they when they left the gold, gold standard and they began to take on debt that was higher than than what the their reserves had, they began to collateralize the Western lands. Uh, unconstitutional, unlawful, illegal, whatever, however you want to say it, that's the way they did it. So there's certain element of power and money that is involved in this. Uh, however, that's not all. Because there's this unholy alliance between those who are seeking power and those who have this extreme uh, anti-God, anti-Christian, uh, uh, extreme environmentalist, relig religious type of view. And let me explain that a little bit to you. Um, we believe, Christians believe, the Bible teaches that God created the earth. He created man and put man, man on the earth. And he commanded man to use and subdue and to replenish the earth. And he said that all the herbs and the cattle and everything on the earth is for the benefit of man. And so that's what we believe. We, we believe and understand that we are to subdue the earth, that we are to use it. We are to benefit from it. We are to care for it. 
We are to replenish it, but it is for our benefit to raise our families, to choose right from wrong, and to, uh, you know, to live on until we're called back to go live with the God who created us. And so that's what we know and understand. That is the Judeo-Christian doctrine when it comes to the earth. But this extreme environmentalist doctrine is completely different, and it's colliding with this. They believe that they don't believe in a creation. They can't explain how we come about, really. But they believe that we're just existing. We just exist. There is no creator. And, and that we're just another, mankind is just another species. But the problem with mankind is we have evolved intellectually to become much more uh, advanced than the other species. And so to them, mankind is a danger to all the other species. And it's very important. They make it their religious duty to try to balance the species. And the way they do that is stop mankind from using the earth and the natural resources. That's why you see them wanting to remove dams. That's why they destroy ranchers and farmers, any land users, anybody that's using the land uh, to benefit and to profit and basically to do the things that God, our Father, and His Son, Jesus Christ, directed us to do. They are trying to stop that. And they have infiltrated the uh, federal agencies from top to bottom, especially the land agencies, so they can use the force of law within the U.S. government to stop people and to force their, basically, theology upon the other people. And that's what it is. So there's this unholy alliance between those who want wealth and power and those who have this religious uh, theology of non-creation and non and, and anti-god that's dead on so talk to us a little bit about your current events which you are running for governor which i think is fantastic in the state of idaho Let's talk a little bit about that because you're not running as a republican no i was and we're tearing it up over here we're getting lots of momentum and tons of support i put in uh, my hat in the campaign ring if you will uh Clear back in May, April of last year, April, and uh, run, been running a hard race. I did uh, first start out as a Republican and get, went all the way through the summer, into the fall, uh, then winter. And we could see uh, by that time I was getting pretty familiar with what the establishment here, the rhinos in the Republican Party have done to the people of Idaho for the past, uh, you know, four or five decades, how they've just controlled the uh, Idaho elections by basically getting all the conservatives, the, the good candidates, along with all the rhinos, uh, all in the same party, and then uh, supporting and pumping their money into the guy that they want. And then in the primaries, all the conservatives are wiped out and there's nothing left but the rhino and the liberal Democrat. And then, of course, everybody who's conservative then has to say, well, we have to at least vote for the rhino. I mean, he's better than the liberal woke Democrat. Well, that's what they've been doing, and that's how they've been controlling the Idaho elections. Well, so right before the deadline, when I had to basically decide whether I was going to run this out as a Republican, I jumped out and uh, had to gather a bunch of signatures, which we did very easily across the state. And uh, 
began to, and then registered as an independent, not an independent, unaffiliated uh, candidate here in Idaho. Uh, well, when I did that, you know, we put shockwaves throughout the state and people began to uh, really support me, even in the Republican, especially in the Republican Party, actually. And so there's this major conflict going on inside the Republican Party because uh, many of the precinct mem uh, committee members and, and leaders are actually supporting me, even some of them openly. And the party is trying to say, you can't do that. You can't support them and be a Republican. And uh, so uh, there's some really good things going on. People are asking the right questions and, and, and starting to figure out their answers. Meanwhile, we have a large voting block of unaffiliated voters here in Idaho, constitutional party and libertarians. So if we can, you know, uh, gather them together under this general election that hasn't been done before in Idaho for at least a long, long time, uh, longer than I've done any research on, uh, we, we might just beat these rhinos at their own game. That'd be fantastic if you do. I'll tell you right now, they need it because it needs a big shakeup. Yeah. It really does. Yep. And what we'll do, you know, uh, we'll immediately begin straightening things out in Idaho. And we're hoping that other states will see our success and see our example and uh, follow suit. They're not trying to preclude you from the race based on your, your court issues with the federal government. No, I mean, I everything with the federal government, you know, we, we weren't even convicted as misdemeanors. We, we beat them on every charge. Uh you know, every accusation. And so there is nothing, you know, now, of course, they're going to try to use that against us as far as politically and say, you know, I'm a criminal and all of that garbage. And then they certainly tried to use the courts and the force of law here in Idaho against me as well. It's almost nonstop. Uh, but, you know, people, they don't have to look very far for they can see what's going on. What, what they just did to President Trump here raiding his home, like, that's my life almost every day. Like, I, I've been fighting these guys. Uh, they've, they've charged me with the most ridiculous things, and I keep fighting them, and it's just all political warfare. So I understand exactly what President Trump uh, is going through. Uh, he understands it, too. He's been fighting them. He's been fighting them more on a, you know, a, a kind of a, a political civil type of basis but but you know this is what they do they try to use uh the justice system the they try to use due process and the force of law against their political enemies and they're hoping that the people you know in whatever area they're doing it in the case with president trump people across the united states will say well somehow president trump must have done something wrong because there's no way that they would ever raid his home unless he would have done unless he did something wrong uh, and, and that's what they're hoping. But I believe that people are seeing through that. They're not going to fall for that so much. This is wicked third world type acts uh, against political enemies, against political opponents. That's what this is. Absolutely. is. Now, you've been pretty outspoken on the COVID nonsense, too, right? Yeah, that's where I got, you know, most of my uh, conflicts with the state government because I was... Uh, very, very local, uh, vocal about what they were doing. And I rallied, you know, thousands and thousands of people uh, in Idaho and across the United States to stand up to all these mandates. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, of course, when you do that, 
uh, they come after you pretty hard and, uh, you know, I'm getting used to it and I'm, I'm good with what I did. I'm, I'm going to stand for what I believe is right. And I'm going to stand for people that I see the government, you know, trying to crush. Uh, and if I have to pay a consequence for that, I guess I have to pay a consequence. Ammon, what would you say to people right now? So many people are waking up, but this looks like a pretty sizable beast, if you will. And you've stood up to it. You've really done the David Goliath thing and brought it to its knees. What would you say to them in terms of wisdom and courage as they face this right now? I appreciate that question. And I I have to give my father a tremendous amount of credit here. My brothers, my mother, my wife, my kids, all of that, because they, they've, you know, my father, he went through it right with us. I mean, uh, he was as innocent as anybody and he went through it right with us. And he, he was the one that was very strong throughout my life of teaching us, you know, when to compromise and when not to compromise. And so, uh, I, I just want to say that. And then to answer your question, I, I mean, what happened to us was terrible and it wasn't easy. It was, it was very difficult, but what we did is we, we always stayed close to the Lord and he gave us enough strength not to give up. And that's what was key, not to give up. And then in the end, and it was in his own due time, I mean, we're talking two years, never once was I ever able to hold or lay my physical eyes on my little children or my wife the entire time. They kept us away from our families. It was terrible. It was terrible. But we did not give up. And at the very end, both in Oregon and in Nevada, at the very end, the Lord gave us the advantage to beat them. He showed us what we needed to do, how we needed to do it, what we needed to say. And there was no way that even the brightest legal minds with the most resources ever known to any legal team in the history, in the written history of mankind, with, with all the power and influence behind them, even including the media, uh, they were not able to confound us. We were able to confound them. And it's because we just simply didn't give up had faith in the Lord, and then listened to him close enough that he would give us the advantage. And he would. He'd give us this little piece. He would send this person to us. He would tell us what to say in this situation. And ultimately, they couldn't overcome us. And so it doesn't matter how big the enemy is. God is stronger. God is bigger. If you will humble yourself and not give up and then listen to him, he will tell you how to win and how to beat him. And don't look at it's don't look at us as as anything other than just just man. We made plenty of mistakes. We cried. We, you know, our faith was shaken. Uh, we were in sorrow many many times. So it's not like we didn't like we were just these faithful people all the time. That's not what I'm talking about. It's just we didn't give up. We didn't lose our faith in the Lord, and we. We were aware enough and listened to his spirit close enough that we were able to follow his guidance. And he led us out of there. That's beautiful. How can people support your campaign or follow you? Uh, the best way to do it is go to votebundy.com. Uh, we've got lots of material there. You know, I've, I've, there's so much material there, actually. It's hard to get through. But go through the main pages and especially go to the Keep Idaho Idaho plan. Uh, because that's what we're, I'm going to do here in Idaho. 
And that's what I think we need to do across the country. So votebundy.com, please go to uh, donate, uh, contribute there, subscribe. Uh, Then I could send you messages and information. You could spread that. That's how we beat this culture, cancer culture. Uh, Votebundy.com, votebundy.com. Well, Emma, we always close with a prayer. And if it's okay with you, I'll do a prayer. I love that. Father, we, we just thank you today for this very blessed meeting and just what an amazing man you've put before us here today to tell his story, a testimony of great trial and great victory. And just we pray so much for the, the family, the Bundys and the Hammonds that have been through so much in the face of, of confronting this evil that has tried to undo their lives and to try to steal away our, our God-given rights and our stewardship and responsibility here on this earth. Father, we just pray for Ammon and his process going forward here in pursuing this the position of governor in Idaho. We just ask that you continue to guide him and bless him and all and allow the people to truly see the true heart of this man to lead their state to a new era, and a new horizon, to really restore the, the sovereignty of the state and the power of the people and the and get us back to the blessedness of this nation. And we say these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You're welcome. I've followed you a long time. It's a real honor to get to talk to you. And you've got an amazing story. A lot of courage in you and your family. You've shown this nation. And in this day, I think it's an important story to keep people reminded of because this is a different era in awakening. We really do see a lot of people coming to the realization of what our government is, and you've already lived it. Very much. Um, I, I really appreciate it. My pleasure to be here tonight. Anyway, I appreciate you having me on and all the good you do. Thanks, Scott. All right. Thank you very much. God bless Ammon. Have a blessed day. Patriots, that was Ammon Bundy. He is a hero and he is a warrior patriot. Battle tested. This man has been through it. He has endured it and he has come out continually on top and, and he wins because he he humbles himself before God. And, and that testimony at the end, that is, that's the testimony of a humble warrior who openly admits his, his imperfections. But at the end, he never lets go of his faith and his trust in God. And that's how they got through. This family is amazing. The sacrifices that they've been through and, and the tyranny that was put upon them is unprecedented. And this, this is what our true face of our government is like. These people that are running this government are a criminal cabal. Don't kid yourself. So little footnotes on this. The man who, the, the Oregon State Police officer that pulled the trigger on, on that whole incident with Lavoie Finnegan, that man, his, the police department refuses to release his name. There is no transparency. And to this day, they hide the person who pulled the trigger. That's cowardice. Because they know they were wrong. They know that they killed a man in cold blood. This is what they're gearing up to do more of. Don't kid yourself. This IRS army of 86,000 people equal to 80 battalions. When you hear this, you will own nothing. You will rent everything. You will be happy. How do you think they're going to get to you? Get to that point. They're going to take everybody's land with 86,000 IRS armed retards that are going to try to raid, and if you don't stand and have the, th- the authority in your will and your relationship with Christ to stand, they're going to push us right over. Don't let that happen. We are in a war. It's a very real thing. 
and they hate you, they hate me, they hate all of us because we speak with a love of this country, a love of God, and the things that they can't stand. And I'm, I'm blunt when I say this. They don't deserve what this country is, and it's time for them to go, bluntly put. We have many heroes among us, and I'm reminding you again of what I witnessed this last weekend. And you have 120,000 heroes in our armed forces that are standing up to this tyranny, sacrificing all their careers. You have people that have lost jobs, that have lost friends. We've all been through this. It's not one. It's This is the many. Understand there are many. We just have to have it in our hearts to understand what the many means. Ammon Bunny is a great inspiration. And if the trip goes right, hopefully I'll be meeting him in person in a few weeks, which would be great. So Patriots... Keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil. Never relent. Always press into the fight. God is with us. He'll never forsake us. But prayers, prayers are the foundation of this great war. This is how we wield the sword of the Spirit. And the sword of the Spirit is mighty. Remember, when you vote, your first vote goes to the kingdom. And that is where it has to be. All this other stuff, yeah, whatever. But our vote has to always go through our prayers to God. In the end, God will always win, but we are here in this time, in this place, for just such a time as this. We are at war. Walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ. Occupy the land. Expand the kingdom. Mission forward. Patriots, I'll see you tonight for Fishers of Men. Until then or until the next time, God bless and out for now. We shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe to assure the survival and the success of liberty. Every thoughtful citizen who despairs of war and wishes to bring peace should begin by looking inward, by examining his own attitude towards the possibilities of peace. Too many of us think it is impossible too many think it is unreal, but that is a dangerous, defeatist belief. It leads to the conclusion that war is inevitable, that mankind is doomed, that we are gripped by forces we cannot control. We need not accept that view. Our problems are man-made, therefore they can be solved by man, and man can be as big as he wants. No problem of human destiny is beyond human beings. Man's reason and spirit have often solved the seemingly unsolvable, and we believe they can do it again. Surely the opening vistas of space promise high costs and hardships, as well as high reward. So it is not surprising that some would have us stay where we are a little longer, to rest, to wait. But this city of Houston, this state of Texas, this country of the United States was not built by those who waited and rested and wished to look behind them. This country was conquered by those who move forward, and so will space. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other thing. 
not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because that challenge is one that we're willing to accept. The energy, the faith, the devotion which we bring to this endeavor will light our country and all who serve it. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. thousands of years to show its face. It has only one intent, to destroy God's light and to enslave. It has no scruples, it has no rules but one, to win at any cost. But we will never bow, for we are the remnant that will hold the line. This is war. We fight. Push. We climb. We never give in. We become the nightmare that evil didn't know could exist. We pray. We stand. We live by the words in God we trust. We fear nothing. We are the light that can never be extinguished. We are patriots. We are the digital army that will help deliver God's wrath. <laughs> 